The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com. Hello. I'm Justin from Austin, Texas. I'm Matthew Workman from Medford, Oregon. I'm Zach from Chicago, Illinois. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to support the show, like I did, just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America, and I'm the host of the program, Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian Bill Burr. Bill is the kind of comedian you might imagine when you think of that kind of hyper-masculine, aggressive comic. He's got a short buzz clip and a heavy Boston accent and a skinny, hungry-looking face, and he's ferocious on stage. But he's just as ferocious interrogating himself as he is questioning the world. Sure, Bill is against political correctness, but he's always about three degrees off from what you expect. Of course, if you're in a comedy club watching Bill Burr, you should expect to be surprised. Um, Here he is essentially firing a bold shot across the bow at the very beginning of his brand new stand-up special, Let It Go, which just came out on CD and DVD. I have been on the road for the last five months. I don't know, man. I just really thinking the worst of people. <laughs> really am. You see some of the animals. Some of the animals I see. Like I was in the airport the other day, right? I'm sitting there waiting for my flight, just hating my life. And this, watching this, watching this lady. She's eating egg McMuffins, like plural. It just threw like three of them right down her throat, like a pelican, just like right down her gullet. And when she was done, she wiped her face with the bag. Oh, with the bag. Not even like a gentleman. Like, no, oh, just do the corners. And she just got a straight razor shave. It's an absolute animal. I saw this other dude. He was so out of shape. He was like trying to itch his back and he couldn't reach it. So he walked up to a support pole that was holding up an entire floor of the airport and just walks up and he just starts like rubbing up against it. Like a grizzly bear. Just a a animal. Dude, I am so pro-swine flu, it's, it's like ridiculous. I want it. We need a plague. I'm telling you, we need a plague. Gotta happen, and don't be afraid. It's only gonna, it's only gonna kill the weak. You know, seriously. Put on a sweater, take some vitamins. You're gonna be fine. You gotta let Mother Nature do her thing, man. She, she keeps trying to help us out, and we won't let her do it. Keeps trying to thin the herd every single time. We're like, oh, good job to get your vaccination. Why? Why? So Egg McMuffin Lady can breathe with the back fat guy, you know? Bill Burr, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's oh, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. 
Uh, first of all, thank you because uh, the last time you were on the program, uh, we it was the it was the only interview we've ever lost the tape for. We did like four hours. I know it's we did four dove. hours, and I and the, what was worse is that I had asked you to do I, I you you had to come in costume. There's all this the series thing. of things that I, I brought those wood your... blocks for the horse sound. Exactly. We did, yeah. we did a radio play. That's what it was. We did a whole radio play, and um, so I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming back on the you show. You know, it's funny. It was when both of us are dead and gone. Hopefully, in more than a hundred years, which mathematically is impossible. But let's just say that uh-huh. they, they, they'll mysteriously find those tapes, <laughs> the digital tapes. That's the worst thing about digital. Was when it's gone, it's gone. Like the, uh, the somehow with tapes. They, they they would lose them, but they would always be laying around. I like the idea that uh, that our lost interview is sort of like uh, is sort of like the gold plated record they put on Voyager um, and sent to the moon uh, or to Saturn or Dude, wherever. You went Voyager sci-fi went. channel on me there. I don't know where you were going with that one. <laughs> you know, they, when Vo- when they sent Voyager to space, they put a gold plated. It was one of the like seventies space missions. It was the one where they Which show though. It was the first. No, in real life. In real life, oh, Bill. Uh, no, I, sometimes I don't, I don't things happen in that. real life. That actually, wait, we had we had something in the seventies. I thought that was an eighties. <laughs> Is that a space shuttle? We had, I remember Challenger. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to get you, sucker. Wasn't um, that one, name of one of the spaceships? I think the point is that I appreciate you coming back on the program. Can I tell you this? Once we stopped going to planets. Not even planets. We went to a moon. Once we went to the moon, I'm really exposing myself that I have no business being on this this radio. Once we went to the moon and there was nothing there, you know. Then to just sort of do laps <laughs> around the Earth, just like, you know, just kind of lo- I just lost interest. Do you think that the space, this, the astronauts that went there, even though they'd already done the research and knew that there was just going to be space rocks, do you think they were kind of bummed out when there weren't any moon men? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, sort of relieved, though. Yeah. Like I would, you know, maybe someone would come up out them. of a hole and eat their car. Right. You know, but space I don't know. Car. You know, I don't understand because there's a lot of people out there says we ne- we never landed on the moon and people are like that's absolutely ridiculous. But my question is, I've never heard anybody say, you know, I looked through a telescope last night and I saw that little flag that we put up there. Uh-huh. How come you never see that? How come you never see the car? It's a relatively small flag. Yeah, but the level of technology. I mean, I can look at my own apartment <laughs> from outer space at this point with my laptop. You're telling me that they don't at the spy shop? They don't have that. Uh... <laughs> Well, wouldn't just to shut up conspiracy theorists? Why don't they take a, a a picture through that that Griffith Park one they have up there? Up in Griffith Park here in Los Angeles, the Griffith right. Park Observatory. Sorry, you think that I they should dedicate? You should. They should dedicate that observatory specifically to just shooting that space car to shut people up about just the whole thing. Just to shut them, just shut their faces up. You um, the, and then you have like Neil Armstrong. Hold up the photo. <laughs> have you seen the Have you seen the uh, internet video of Buzz Aldrin, uh, a guy coming up to Buzz Aldrin saying that he never went to the moon, and then Buzz Aldrin just turns around and just cold cocks him, just <laughs> takes him down. <laughs> he's just That's like, awesome. I don't have to take this, and just punch. He's like seventy five years old, just knocks him down to the ground with exactly. one punch. Because you got to understand that that guy put his life on the line <laughs> to do something like that, and here's this guy, hey man. <laughs> According to my Wikipedia YouTube research, I, I want to ask you. You know, I was I was watching your uh, I was watching your new stand up special, Let It Go, and um, uh, there's this whole uh, there's a whole chunk uh, that you you do a big chunk of the special about adopting a dog. Yes, but that opens with the discussion of how you think it's absurd 
to um, to call a, a, a rescue dog, an adopted dog, a rescue dog, because you think it should be called a free dog yeah. because you get it from the I pound. I think it depends on where you are in the process. <laughs> like yesterday or two days ago, my girl was supposed to pick me up at the airport and... Uh, you know, I I show up at baggage claim. She isn't there, and I call her, and she and I'm like, and she just goes, "We have a problem," and I hate when people do that. It's just, dude, just tell me what the problem is. Don't just say we have a problem and do this dramatic pause because then I'm thinking, what what happened? You lost control of the car. You drove over a jogger. We're gonna get sued. <laughs> the house burned down. What happened? But she she was driving and she saw this uh, sort of miniature pit bull, which I guess they have now, like a blue nose running around in the street, almost getting hit. Long story short, she pulled over, coaxed the thing into the car, and then took it over to the, the animal hospital. And then we found a home for it. Now, my girl rescued the dog. Right. The dude who took the dog got a free dog. Okay. You know so- what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I saw you. I saw you. It'd be you like perform- if you pulled somebody out of a fire, okay, risk your life and all that type of stuff. You know, there was some something there. Sure. And then I'm the guy who stands there after you guys come back, and I'm the guy who puts the blankets over both of you. <laughs> And I want the, my hero medal. Like Give me a break. Silver reflective blanket. Yeah, and that's not even a good example because in no, in there's no way in there where I put the blanket on you. Am I saving any money? <laughs> so I saw you perform this in in the following context, and I was talking to to my producer Julia about this. It was uh, first of all, it was a McSweeney's benefit. It was a benefit for uh, for eight twenty six Valencia, the uh, the literary. Um, classes for kids operation slash donut shop they have exactly out here, right? so it's strip malls everything has a theme they it, so it was a, it was sort of a it was a very uh, Dave Eggers Vendela Vita crowd it was a beautiful book buying and reading crowd um, you were performing on a you were performing on a bill with a lot of comics whose whose tone was was matched that I mean I I, I can't recall exactly who all was on there I think probably our our, my, my, our friend uh, Al Madrigal but maybe book the show but it's a lot of a, a lot of sort of um, comics who seem like charming read. quirky comics yes and uh, you followed a dog act and you know the the rule is you you never want to follow animals or children. Um, this dog act went out, and not only was it a dog act, uh, it was called Someone or Other and His Amazing Mutts, if I remember correctly. But it was fantastic. This was the greatest oh, dog act. Oh, I remember that. It was such a blast. And, part and they of had, the, like, hula skirts on and stuff, yeah, the dogs did? And the premise of this whole thing is, the premise of this whole dog act is that all these dogs are rescue dogs, right? And they talk a little bit about that in the act while they're having them jump through hoops and... These dogs are just adorable. It's a man, his beautiful daughter. It's just a completely charming act from 1920. Okay. And then you come out and you open with this bit about how you don't think rescue dogs should be called rescue dogs. And <laughs> it made me wonder it, it made me wonder if you're at a point in your career where you do the most difficult material in your repertoire in any given context, just to amuse yourself or test yourself? Um, that was probably the classic example. That, that You know what? I don't get to work with a lot of comedians uh-huh. that are, are, are my peers, like Al Madrigal. I get to see him down at the comedy store, but I don't get to go out on the road and headline with them. So on a show like that, it's like a high school reunion. So I was probably in the green room, <laughs> and, uh, and I probably didn't see what was on. But I do remember that act, so I don't know why I did that. That could have been... <laughs> Um, somebody in the crowd annoyed me. Sometimes if somebody annoys me in the crowd or just something is said, um, 
Or there's there's also a thing where if just something is so cute and so adorable, and you have to go on after it, and and you have more of a harsh thing, you might as well, you just have to go over the top with it. Um, it just kind of shocks people into whatever the hell it is that you're doing. But I mean, I wasn't trying to disrespect that guy. Your stage persona is like about the least chilled performance that could possibly exist. Um, <laughs> you're like, I mean, you're, 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 you're sort of, a, you're a sweet guy in, in, in real life, you know, coming over to the house, playing with my dog and everything. It's all an act. Um, Mispronounce but... my name and watch what I do to the room. <laughs> Throw a temper tantrum like a five-year-old. Well, speaking of, we might as well, we might as well play this. There's, uh, there's this clip of you a, a couple of years ago, uh, performing in an Opie, Opie and Anthony stand-up comedy show. Um, in Philadelphia, you're gonna judge me on that. You're gonna blame the victim. No, there? I'm. I'm not gonna blame the victim. But it's a. Tr- I mean, it's a truly spectacular performance in more ways than one. I mean, it's like awe-inspiring in basically every well, possible way. Can I, can way. I set it up before you? Yeah, go t- tell, just tell in defense please of myself. Do. Please do. What happened was we we went there and it was uh, you know it was like ten thousand people sort of filing in. It was right outside of Philly. These maniacs down there were wearing like Eagles jerseys and throwing a football around. They were like tailgating uh-huh. for a comedy show. And it was already outside. There were lawn seats for like a third of the crowd. So as far as like, you know, for a stand-up show, you got pretty much everything working against you other than it, the only thing that was missing is it didn't rain. Uh-huh. So the first guy went out there. This poor bastard goes out there. And, and like, this is also a self-selected audience. I mean, the, the opening, Opie and Anthony audience is an audience that comes to that because they want to be, you know, they want somebody to, they want something that's sort of like getting in their face and like pulling their strings yeah. and poking them and yelling like at me, them. Like they're me, not, they're not big readers either. <laughs> <laughs> so we went out and the first guy goes out there and it was just i mean there might have been 2000 people sitting down and another couple thousand sort of milling around trying to find which patch of grass they were going to sit on so he basically gets booed off stage totally not his fault it's like broad daylight the whole thing was awful and basically i went on 3 hours after that and the ideal comedy show is about 90 minutes and uh they started booing me and fortunately i'd been booed before so the first time you get booed it's it's shocking but then the next times it's it's not uh, uh, it's not an unfamiliar sound. So you're just like, <laughs> oh, this. Well, okay, if this is going to happen, I'm not going to go down by myself. I'm going to take a few of you with me. I said a lot of ignorant stuff, but I was I was just trying to make them as mad as it, as they made me. And uh, you know what amazed me was the amount of people who saw that and thought a that I was in a comedy club and b that I just walked out on stage doing that like I got a lot of emails <laughs> like you know you got some nerve those people came there to see a show where do you get <laughs> it's like do you honestly think I, I would why would you do something like that so let's hear a little bit of this and it will be indeed a, a brief clip and for the sensitive eared um, there will be some bleep profanity in this clip of uh, it's going to uh, sound like Morse code of my guest Bill Burr on the stage in Philadelphia To get booed by this GED fucking stupid ass piece of shit fucking crowd. Bunch of fucking losers. I hope your fucking radios fall on your head tomorrow. The fucking antenna goes right in your fucking ears. If I hadn't already you had fall out of one of those piece of shit buildings. Fuck all of you and fuck the Liberty Bell. And shove it up Ben Franklin's ass. What do you think about that? All of you motherfuckers. I hope that bridge collapses. 
pipes. Go fuck yourselves. Six minutes left, and I will be selling my CD after this shit, you motherfuckers. And the only way you get one is if I throw one at your fucking stupid heads. You bunch of racist fucking morons. So when you're in a situation like that, where you're facing a hostile crowd, and Philadelphia is legendary for its hostile crowds. I mean, they would Absolutely. boo. They'd boo Mike Schmidt off the stage of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony if they had the opportunity. If um, he did one little thing wrong, absolutely they would have. <laughs> I'm surprised when he cried they didn't. If the, if he showed up and he'd shaved his mustache, maybe. Yeah, anything, anything can set him off. They're like, uh, like uh, what are those? Those killer bees. <laughs> you know what I mean? You scratch your head too much, it makes them mad. <laughs> they just jump on you. It's the same thing. It's the same sort of concept. But I also don't think that it's helped that they've gotten so much coverage glorifying how they are, and now it's. They're trying to top each other. I mean, you heard that that one guy, like, you know, threw up on the people in front of him. No. Ugh, gee. I mean, just took Ooh. it to a whole nother level. Okay. This, this co- yeah, yeah. We'll so skip past that. The question is, this, <laughs> you're, you're in the, what, you're looking at a, an audience of 10,000 very discontented, discontented people who are booing you and, you know, or at least many of Some them of the are booing you. Some of the most out-of-shape, and... ugly people I've ever seen in my life. They were an absolute... <laughs> train wreck of a crowd they really were there so, wasn't really anything redeemable about them and they were watching for my money <laughs> some of the best comics in the country that night if you saw the lineup that night it was insane 20 years from now they're going to say all the comics that were on that show and they treated them like ass <laughs> even the ones that they didn't boo you had to go out there was this whole dance dance for me like they were shooting at your feet and it was like uh and that's why i went out there so angry is because i resent i go it goes beyond hatred i resent when the crowd is in control i literally get i that's one of the few things that offends me like how dare you there's two things you could have done there one is you know i think oftentimes uh comedians measure themselves and each other by the extent to which they can you know, they can win in a horrible situation. The extent to which you can, for example, go on stage and, um, you know, make fun of the idea of a rescue dog immediately after uh, a rescue dog act has been on stage before a crowd of the literati. Um, And so your challenge to yourself could be like, how can I win this situation? And it seemed like what you chose was was sort of like mutually assured destruction. It was like, if they're bringing out the nukes, then I'm just going to just go down each person that I can see and the place that I'm in and just take every single thing down that I can during it was my a, time It was a stage. lot. It was really simple. I just was, I got, they booed me. Then I got mad and I was just like, well, I'm not going to leave. I'm not letting these people boo me. And then I just... The simple formula was like, what do these people love? (laughs) That's it. They love their moms. They love their sports teams. They love being healthy. uh, And just, you know, they love feeling that their city matters. (laughs) You know, that's the funny thing to this day. Like, you know, like when the Phillies won the the World Series, I got all these emails from people going, like yelling at me. Like, yeah, now what are you going to say? It's like, dude, I don't care about the Phillies. I was just trying to make you mad. As long as it isn't the Yankees, I'm happy. I don't care. So, you know, it was one of those. But getting back to what I understand what you I didn't understand what you were saying earlier. But yeah, that does become like stand up after a while becomes a game. If if 
in order to continue growing is you have to keep challenging yourself. And it does sometimes become how deep a hole can I dig? How ridiculous can, can this thing be? But, um, you know, I saw a thing the other night. Uh, I went to Mark Marin's podcast when I was in New York and uh, he was interviewing David Cross and like, he, like those guys were a couple classes ahead of me. And they were saying how David, when he started, would go up into the, in these uh, bars in like, you know, Western Massachusetts. All right. And he would go on stage as this gay character and just would stay in it for like, like 10 minutes and just like in one of the most homophobic environments possible. And he did that coming out of the gate. And to me, that takes way more balls. Like I didn't have the balls to do for like the first, uh, ah, shit. I don't know. Like, you know, my need to be liked for the first eight years of my career was was ridiculous. Like, um, I I would, I just unbelievably moving back and forth. Like some of the tapes I have, I've looked at some of my old VHS tapes because I'm worried VCR is, is going to die and I can't buy a new one, so I'm switching them over to DVD. And I'm just watching some of my old tapes. I might have been the worst comedian you've ever seen. And also, the second I got on stage and took the mic out of the mic stand, I never stopped moving. I would just be pacing. but And the movement had nothing to do with what I was saying. So it was absolutely confusing. to. I can't even believe I got any laughs. You know what I mean? It's like if you're standing on stage, you know, and you're making some big thing and you bring your arms out like that, it makes sense. But, you know, my dad was crazy and you're just moving your arms and like flapping around like a psycho. I'd, I'd come off like pouring sweat. And there was nights when I would be bombing that I would actually, four minutes into my set, I would be out of breath from telling jokes. <laughs> like that's how nervous I was, so... Um, I think through just challenging myself because I hated being nervous because I knew I could be funny but I, and I wasn't being as funny as I could that I just sort of steered the ship right into uh, everything I was afraid of. That's when I, I started doing, you know, the uptown rooms that they called. I did the Apollo and I just started doing, yeah, you know, simple formula once again. Like the Philly thing was what do these people love and my formula with stand-up is what am I afraid of? What scares me? And then I just started, you know, going getting these gigs in new york where they would be like get on the the e-train and and take it out to jamaica queens it was literally the last stop and i would get up come up out of there and the the people who didn't think i was a cop would immediately just the looks i got when i got they almost wanted to turn me around and help me out and just be like maybe they thought i was from ireland and be like no manhattan's that way and um you know i had some rough shows i'm not gonna lie to you i had some really really rough shows and some long train rides back. But because I did those, um, I think that's one of the reasons why that Philly thing, you know, I was able to keep my composure um, and and somehow get out of that, you know. And then it was also one of those things that was literally a half-court shot. Like, you know, he dragged the guy out of the audience. It, eventually it's going to go in. So it was one of those nights where every everything worked. The Sound of Young America returns triumphantly to New York City on October 22nd at the Jerome L. Green Performance Space at WNYC. Join me, Jesse Thorne, my guests, including the brilliant Amy Sedaris and more, for a night of fun and laughter and good times and, I don't know, maybe some intellectual stimulation. We'll see. You can find more information about the show by visiting MaximumFun.org and clicking on our Live in New York City link in the right-hand bar. The Sound of Young America is proud to be a returning sponsor of the Seattle Sketch Fest in 2010. It's Seattle's premier comedy festival. 
It's happening October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District. You know, when Sketchfest Seattle got started in 1999, it was the first sketch comedy festival in the country, and it's been operating continuously ever since. I've performed sketch comedy there and recorded The Sound of Young America there, and my experiences were absolutely wonderful. You'll see some of the best sketch comedy groups in the country all converging on Seattle for a festival that really is a blast. If you're a comedy fan in Seattle and you want to check it out, visit them online at sketchfest.org. That's Sketchfest Seattle 2010, October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District online at sketchfest.org. Hey, Washington, D.C., want to meet up? Teresa and I will be in our nation's capital on Thursday, October 7th for a MaximumFun.org meetup. You can join us from 5.30 to 7 p.m. for hanging out and palling around and enjoying some snacks and drinks at the Science Club in DuPont Circle. Uh, It's at 1138 19th Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., You can find more information on our website at MaximumFun.org. That's the MaxFun Meetup on October 7th in our nation's capital. Invited guests include President Barack Obama. (laughs) It's at the Science Club in DuPont Circle. I hope we'll see you there. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian Bill Burr. His ferocious new special is called Let It Go. It's on CD and DVD now. No, I noticed, you know what I know I had an anger problem? It was when, uh, just like little random things. Like I went to this place another time. I'm on the road and I'm ordering food. And I was done ordering the food. And the guy behind the counter asked me if I wanted a cookie. Right? And all of a sudden, he's had this unbelievable urge just to blast this guy right in the face. to be paranoid but my brain was just sitting there going like dude what kind of a man asks another man if he wants a cookie this guy thinks you're soft or something you want a cookie huh? you want a cookie there cupcake who the f- is he doesn't f- know you like that you know what the sad thing was was I wanted a cookie I would have loved one sit there with a big glass of milk like a four year old who doesn't love a cookie you know but I say it I say I want a cookie you don't I say it. I say I want a cookie. I bring it up. But if you bring it up, you do it subtle. You don't just yell it across the restaurant. You want a cookie, you pussy? 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 Why do you think you're so um, so interested in in making everything a challenge? I mean, every one of your setups for f- f- in in this special is something where you start with often a comedian will start a bit by sort of stating something that everyone can agree on um getting everyone on the same page you know uh does everybody remember the kool-aid man uh we all know that (laughs) men are different than women like whatever it is right um, it's getting everyone on the same page. Oh yeah, and I you wrote, seem, I wrote volumes of that stuff. And you seem <laughs> and you seem to like you seem to start every one of your bits with something like it's the exact opposite. Like pick, it, it's as though you look took a look through your notebook and said which of these things will upset and bother people the most, and then you went up on stage and talked about them until you found something that was funny about them. Well, it's more, uh, no, all this stuff that I say, if I'm not being ridiculous, I do believe. So th- that's 
a big thing, and I have to believe it, unless I'm being absolutely ridiculous. Like I love like uh, like that style that Will Ferrell does. I I wish I could do more stuff like that, but I'm I'm more of a uh, opinionated. Like I kind of say what how I feel, but there, there's two reasons why I do it that way. One is people are so educated to comedy. Like it's, it's constantly evolving and like a ridiculous level of education is out there nowadays where you got kids nowadays making YouTube videos and then they put them up and they literally are learning to see what plays the, the thing about it. So what, it, it's more like a misdirection. Like you just, you, you, you lead them to the right. If you're going to the left and at the, in the last second, you know, cause people, you know, they, they try to guess where you're going. So you know, you you can't put the uh, you know the cart before the horse, so to speak. So um, it has to do that, and it's also something doing a lot of difficult rooms. It was also a way that I learned to shut people up. You know, I, I would just yeah, just say something that would get people to be like, well, why why would you say that? I got well, where's he going with this? And that 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 all came from doing hell rooms. But the thing is, I'm not one of those people who wants to walk people out of a club. Like, I've never understood that, why you want to make the audience leave. To me, that seems like an easy thing to do. You know, I'm going to say something you don't want to hear, but I'm going to make you want to stay. You also undercut that a lot in your act. I mean, I think there there are other comedians out there who are um, who are as aggressive as you or as no-holds-barred as you or as no-topic-is-sacred or et cetera, et cetera. There are other comics who have that tone, and I and what impresses me about your comedy is that you're also not afraid to undercut yourself in that. I mean, you have you have a bit. I, I was just listening to your uh, I was just listening to your podcast, and you were talking about someone complaining about your material uh, being homophobic because it contains uh, because your new special has a, that was the, a what, sort of segment built around um, built around the idea of guys calling each other. Um, and I suppose we'll probably bleep it for the radio, but fags. Yeah. And the premise of that bit is is actually much more about you trying to figure out how to be a better person. This is how it works with guys. Anytime you do anything remotely sensitive, heartwarming, anything that's going to make you more of a loving, caring individual, immediately all your guy friends suggest that maybe, just maybe, you want to suck a Oh, it's brutal. Even if you do something smart, right? Like it's raining out. He's got an umbrella. What a f- Oh my God. What are you afraid of the water? Put your shoulders up, you f- Jesus Christ. Would you pull that thing out of your I mean, a lot of that's special. It's funny. It's basically, I think I was in, in a period, I'm just examining my anger. So let it go kind of meant two things. It was one, when I get into a, a bar room debate, you know, with some plumber or whatever, right? And we're going at it. And I will so argue my point to the, just like, I just won't stop arguing my point. And a lot of times people, just to end it, will agree with me. And that's not enough for me. I'll be like, no, dude, don't just agree with me. You know, don't agree with it. And then there's always that person going, all right, Bill, just let it go. Let it go. So it was a combination of that. And then also me trying to let go of being this, this, uh, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the angry guy. It's the exact dude. I don't want to be that person 
who creates tension in his house and your kids are afraid when you pull in. I mean, I want him to respect me, my hypothetical kids that I'm talking about, <laughs> like they exist. You know, come home like one of those sitcom dads. You know, you're whistling a tune, you take off your Bing Crosby hat. <laughs> Put on your Isn't that the guy you want to be? Zip right? it up all the way, then zip That's it down That's right, make somebody way. waffles. <laughs> be that guy, that guy that, you know, lights up a room rather than everybody's like, oh, God, Frank's here, Jesus. Is he drinking? All right, I got to go. Bill Burr, thank you so much for joining us on The Sound of Young America. Bill Burr's brand new stand-up special is called Let It Go. You can buy it on compact disc and digital versatile disc in stores now. You can find him online at BillBurr.com, and you can listen to his hilarious Bill Burr comedy Monday morning podcast for free in iTunes. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music and all of our music provided to us by Dan Wally. Our associate producer is Julia Smith. Nick White edits the show. Our intern is Christian Natividad. He's sitting behind me, and I think this is the last time he will ever be sitting behind me as I record the tracking for a Sound of Young America program. Bye, Christian. If you have thoughts about the show, email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. And by all means, visit us online at MaximumFun.org. Talk about the shows in our forum. Uh, Check out our podcast. Take a look at our archives. There's all kinds of fun stuff there. I suppose that's just about it. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com.